The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, quit massaging your entities and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 319 with guest Julie Lerman, recorded live Wednesday, February 13th, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, providing the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who's decided his favorite Ben & Jerry's flavor is Suburban Bourbon, Carl Franklin. Thanks very much, Lawrence. Welcome back to .NET Rocks, everybody. Carl Franklin here in Connecticut, Richard Campbell. Where are you now, Richard? Where's I Richard? I should be on my way home. Okay. Because it's Tuesday, February 26th, right now, so I should be on an airplane flying home from Cairo. And what were you doing in Cairo? All kinds of wacky things. Oh, so okay. Well, A little, a little covers- tourism, a little business, you know, the crazy stuff. Covers a host of sins. All right. Oh, yeah. I would, I would say my wife was with me, so I couldn't have sinned that badly. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, let's get to Better Know Framework. All right. What do you got for me? Well, I'm going to talk just a little bit, very briefly, about uh, iQueryable of T. Oh. iQueryable of T, of course, is the stuff that makes link queries work. Right, right. When you implement iQueryable, you're saying that you are a queryable class and that uh, link... Uh, queries can be run against you, and then you implement an iQuery provider interface to do the dirty work. And uh, so if you really want to um, hook your objects up to link in a very rich and searchable, queryable way, this is a good way to do it. Now, I've said a mouthful there, and uh, obviously there's no best practices in everything, anything that I have said. I'm just pointing out these two interfaces to you, iQueryable and iQuery Provider, and I suggest you look them up. Cool. Yeah. So you got an email today. I do indeed. Uh, and this one is from a longtime listener, Chris Iyer. Chris Iyer. Yeah, he sent us emails before, and it's just an interesting one. I just want to toss out there to the listeners. He says here, hi, guys. I have an idea for a show that you have not covered yet. What does it take to meet SOX compliance for an in-house software development team. Socks now, being what? Sarbanes-Oxley. Now, oh, we normally think of Sarbanes-Oxley oh, okay. yeah. as securing your website so that people can't steal uh, you know, credit card numbers and things like that. Right. But he's just bringing up the whole thought around what it takes to be secure in a development space. Here's hmm. how the, the email wraps up. The firm I have joined recently has been floated on the New York Stock Exchange, and we have been invaded by compliance auditors. Some of the junior ones don't know what version control software is, but insist that we restrict access to it. We are slowly tightening database access rights, and users will eventually only be able to call stored procedures. The direct CRUD operations will have to be removed. Wow. Keep up the great shows. Regards, Chris Iyer. Wow, that's a little scary. It's an interesting thing to think about. This is a whole other area of socks I haven't even considered, because, of course, it's a vulnerability. Right. But... 
And I really don't even know where to start. I did a little bit of searching just to say, well, who's talking about compliance for software developers? And most of that conversation is about building software that's compliant, mm-hmm. not that your software development processes are compliant. Right. So I got to dig that. around some more. If anybody else has some thoughts out there, fire us an email, .NET rocks at franklins.net. Richard, I'm very excited today because our guest is our old friend, Julie Lerman. Julie is an independent consultant and .NET mentor who's been designing and writing software applications for more than 20 years as of this show. (laughs) Julie as well, I always, you know, anytime I say for the last five years, I'm thinking, okay, well, in five years, this is going to be incorrect. In one year, this is going to be incorrect. Julie is well known in the .NET community as a Microsoft MVP, ASP Insider, and iNeta speaker. She is a prolific blogger a frequent presenter at technical conferences around the world, and writes articles for many well-known technical publications. Julie lives in Vermont, where she runs the Vermont.net user group, is a board member of the Vermont Software Developers Alliance, and a member of the Champlain College Software Engineering Advisory Board. Say that three times fast. You can read (laughs) Julie's blog at thedatafarm.com slash blog. Uh, Julie's finally caved into frequent requests by publishers to write a book and is writing Programming Entity Framework for O'Reilly, which should be available in October. Welcome back to the show, Julie. Hey, Richard. Hey, Carl. Hey. So you did it, huh? You're going to write the book. Uh, yeah, well, I finally just told them it's it's just leaking out of me anyway. So it was, it was <laughs> well write it down. Blog well. by blog. Article by article, so I just had to get have to get it out of my system. Yeah. So, and, how are uh, your neighbors Ben and Jerry doing? <laughs> I think they might have moved. You know, they they sold that company a long time ago for lots of money. Yeah. They 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 sold it to a big international corporation, and on the very same day, that corporation also bought SlimFast. So. It's that they could do some interesting <laughs> co-marketing that way. So we're talking about Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Absolutely. Bought That's, and the same company bought Slim Fast on the same day. That's pretty funny. That is funny. So you know, hey, buy a lot of Ben and Jerry's. Oh, you ate too much. Go do the Slim Fast for a month. Okay, now you can go back to the Ben and Jerry's. That is so <laughs> wrong. They're cut. They've got all their bases covered. Oh yeah. So you know, Julie lives in practically in the town where Ben and Jerry's was started, and they have a huge factory there. A uh, lot of fun. But th- we're not here to talk about ice cream. No. That's always a good topic. It is a good topic. <laughs> and I know we're supposed to be talking about any framework, but before we dive into this, um, I wanted to, your position on Link a little bit. Because I know you're pretty comfortable with SQL Server anyway. So I'm, I'm curious as to how you see Link with SQL. Are you likely to use it? Oh, I've actually got it in production already. Because I can use Link to SQL in production already. Absolutely. Ah, I've got Link, Link to Link. XML in production. Oh, Link to XML. Sweet. See, mm-hmm. I totally Very buy into sweet. Link to XML. I totally buy into Link as access to the file system, to WMI, any of those things. It's just the Link to SQL that I'm jumpy about. Link to SQL, you know, Microsoft's guidance on Link to SQL is it's for RAD development, right? And And not for big enterprise projects. So... You know, if you're doing the, that kind of work where you need all of that control, it's, you know, probably not for you anyway. Okay. So, I mean, that, that sort of speaks to as my app scales up and we're going to go and replace the link code I wrote with actual SQL code. Or or link to entities code if you want to throw, you know, an entity data model in there instead. All right, so we're going to get to the entity framework here without a doubt because I'm very curious now as to what the rules are around link to entity versus link to SQL. Yeah, let's what what is it about link to SQL that makes it not scale? Um one of, one of the difficulties is for getting across tiers. I mean, it's totally doable, but then when you start really pushing it um and dealing with persistence you start getting into a lot of tricky code. Rick Strahl's been really banging on that. Um, not to say that right now Entity Framework is hugely easier when we get into going across tiers, but um, they're still working on it, whereas right now Link to SQL is kind of baked in for a while. 
Okay. This is actually a really hard question to answer because we've been asking Microsoft this question for a very, very long time. And, and um, you know, they're starting to come around on their own guidance about it, So, which is really helpful. Really helpful. Well, and part of me got a sense that nobody believed the Entity Framework was going to make it. You know, the number of times we've had this abstract data concept fly around the company and it's never shipped uh, made me think that, okay, well, we'll see what happens with Entity Framework. And I, I sort of get that sense the same with Microsoft folks. They're just like, well, if it flies, it flies. So now that it's actually, it seems to be successful, yeah. like it's getting it somewhere, is. people are now it trying is. to incorporate it into the plan. It's it's not only incorporated into the plan for us as developers, but Microsoft is is using it too internally. I mean, it, oh yeah, and and you know, the their way of uh, explaining it is you can imagine you know the following scenarios where it will be used, as opposed to saying and we are currently working on implementing it in X, Y, and Z. Right. So imagining the possible scenarios where it could be used is you know plugging their their potential they have the potential for plugging it into reporting services you know plugging it in plugging it into um, biz talk places like that and they even have uh, this great slide that shows like the entity data model um, kind of down in the core and all these different places you can plug the entity data model in I actually did a workshop it was it was a guidance workshop um, not not to the same tune of the question you were asking about link to SQL and enterprise applications, but more um, kind of technically with syntax and, and performance and things like that. You know, as we move forward, do we use ADO. You know, classic ADO.net? We have to plug that classic on there. Link to SQL, Entity Framework, and then with Entity Framework, there's a bunch of choices. There was somebody in that workshop who works somewhere in Microsoft on some team. He wouldn't tell me his name or the team he was on because he knew I might be able to figure it out. And he was there to learn about Entity Framework because they are implementing it in whatever whatever tool it is that they write. So they're, they're definitely going to be using it. It's, it's going to be, you know, Microsoft is going to be using it, not just to dog food. We've been talking about Entity Framework now for about five minutes, and I fear there's somebody out there who didn't listen to the other shows that we've done on it where we introduced yeah, it. Yeah, back so. up a little bit. Yeah. Sorry, you, you pushed the button. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we could just define what we're talking about. Define Entity Framework. Yeah. Funny you should ask that. <laughs> um, Slide <so> one. <laughs> and it, entity Framework actually comes out of something called Entity Relationship Modeling uh, that was invented uh, in the 70s by uh, a well-known database guy named Peter Chen, Dr. Peter Chen. Um, and so what Microsoft is doing is it's taking this concept of the entity relationship model. They're, it, they're calling it the entity data model. And, and it gives you the ability to create a conceptual model of your data so that you don't have to program directly against the database. And especially if you've got a database that's nicely structured for the things that it should be structured for, performance and security and, you know, all, and normalization and all those kinds of things that make it difficult to program against. So rather having that schema to work against, we get a nice conceptual schema that we work against, and that's um, the conceptual piece of what is the whole entity data model. The rest of that model is... Um, two more schemas. One is a representation of the actual schema of the database, and then in between, a way to map between the two. So we start out with this conceptual model and, and the entity data model, and what the entity framework is, is a set of APIs that we can use to write .NET code to work with the entity data model. And the APIs will enable us to um, you know, go back and forth between the conceptual model and the actual data store, but the APIs do all that work for us, reading the, reading the schemas, reading the mapping files, and it also does all kinds of entity, we can work with the actual entities as objects on the client side. So the entity framework is interesting because we've been thinking of the entity framework as the whole package, including the EDM, 
the entity data model, but the EDM is actually a thing unto itself, and the entity framework is the is the .NET APIs that let us work with that. So we can use it in our .NET applications, whereas, you know, the guys working, for example, with reporting services, the guys who write reporting services at Microsoft, the guys and girls, um, will write their own code against the entity data model to incorporate it into reporting services. And some of those other technologies that Richard was talking about that they've tried to um, ship or, or at least work on that have been scrapped include what? Object spaces was one of them, the, the latest one. Would you say that WinFS, Richard, might have fallen into that Yeah, I'd sort well? of put it in. Oh, it's, yeah. It's always this ma- – the, the funny part about uh, entity relationship modeling is we've always done it. This is what you draw on your cocktail napkin. Every right. application has these larger concepts. We've just never had a really great code version of that. Right. You've always got it in a diagram. It's either it's in the Visio diagram that you generated tables from, or if you were using Irwin or any of these other tools, you've always had ER diagrams, but they've never mm-hmm. been functional. They haven't actually been a part of the rule set. One of my favorite descriptions of where you'd want this is replication. I don't want to replicate my orders without the line items for those orders, right? So if you will replicate order number one, you better take the line items with it. Treat that as a unit. Treat it as an entity hmm. so that both get shipped across or neither get shipped across. Yeah. And and they're always there. We, it's amazing how much code we write on the database side to enforce those ER rules, that you yeah. can't you can't insert a line item without having the order in, and you can't create the order without the the customer, and all that sort of stuff. You know, gets into these rules around uh, maintaining the concept of an entity. And you can you can put that all into the actual entity data model, the schemas. You can you can put those constraints in there. Now, what about object databases? I know that my brother, the Java programmer, who, by the way, said he was going to appear on this show as a he's guest. He's going to do a show, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's awesome. He, um, you know, he's, he's hot on the idea of an object database and that they are out there and they have been working for a while. Um, I guess object base is one. Um, I'm not sure because I have no, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Do uh, either of you guys know, um, uh, about any non-Microsoft uh, object databases? I I don't, but I, I can't even imagine what the response of a DBA, you know, somebody with with a DBA skills like uh, like Richards would would think of that. Because I would imagine if you if you've got the objects right in the database, then you you lose all of the ability you have to as a DBA to really make the database what you need it to be to do its job well. Well, I mean, the distinction here is and most people forget. The relational database, which is what SQL Server and all these products that we're used to is, is not the only kind of database. There were databases before relational databases, and some would argue that the object database is something after the relational database. And we know from the ORM world that the, you know, the ORM tools of the day are, are, do not perform well with traditional, you know, store procedure based uh, relational databases. Well, they and, need and to the be whole, more I mean, ORM stands for object relational mapping, right? right? The whole concept that I have this object organization that I'm trying to map to a relational organization. Yeah. Right. And they're different. But, you know, the essential thing when people say, well, what about an object database? I said, it's really tough to figure out how much you sold this month with an object database. Right. I mean, an object database is basically persisting the whole object as a serialized blob, isn't it? I right. Mean, and so then you get into the, the concept of those entities and how you're going to, you know, again, these, these entities are now objects. And right. how do you relate them together in different ways, which is what relational databases are good to. Exactly. How do you search it? No, that's, well, I mean, <laughs> oh the, database, God, the database does all that, but it just, you don't okay, use okay. the traditional kind of sequel to i guess i don't know uh, and i'm really just seriously just talking out of what i've heard from a casual conversation i really don't want to de- this is not the definitive but, you know definition. It, i think it's relevant to the conversation and that that's a different context on the problem i see the entity framework and this whole entity relationship modeling as the way to architect multiple items together in a relational database to treat them as entities yes another way to solve that problem is the object database route where the entities are now objects, and so they're naturally connected together as a set of properties of an object. 
Right. right, and then you code. You go back to coding right against the database, but the database is is structured in a really nice way for the person with with the business model in their head. It just appears. It seems to me that it's just a matter of where you have the mapping. You know, is the mapping in the database? Is the mapping in the code? Is it in a layer somewhere? Um, the entity framework seems like a really good thing to me because you you have control over uh, over that. You you have your objects, you have your database, and then there's there's mapping. Do you know about uh, Telerik's Q3 2007 tools? They have a new version of the AJAX-powered grid with 10 times faster data binding, a new super light navigation control pack added to the Telerik Next Generation ASP NetSuite, codenamed Prometheus. But if you're into building desktop business applications, you'll have to try Telerik's unique UI suite for Windows Forms. All 32 desktop controls offer dazzling WPF-like effects, Scaling, rotation, object motion, transparency, so you can easily build apps with amazing flair. And how about a super easy yet powerful reporting tool, one that's pretty much codeless with wizards, expression builders, converters, and automatic operations? That's right, I'm talking about Telerik Reporting, which is also part of their valuable bundle. This time, I think the Telerik guys have really outdone themselves. I won't have the time to cover everything, so you need to check out yourselves. Go to Telerik.com and download a trial. And, hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Another really cool thing about the way the entity data model is structured is it's three separate pieces. So you could you could create a model where you have you know the representation of your database in, in one of those schema files, the mapping, and then and then our conceptual layer, right, that we're going back and forth to. But then you could conceivably point to a different database and then just take um, a, a schema snapshot, so to say, of that database, put that into your model, m- modify the mapping so that the mappings properly point to how the schema of that database works, but conceivably, you wouldn't have to touch your conceptual part of the model, and and therefore you wouldn't have to touch your, you know, obviously the, the I'm talking about a database that's similar, right? Uh, but then you wouldn't have to, to change your code, right? Because the conceptual model that you're writing against, that you're querying against is the same. So say, for example, you buy your competitor out, right? And And rather than merging all their data in, you could maybe have a way of you know, getting orders out of your database and just pointing to their database and just doing the same work again. And without a doubt, you're making a trade-off doing that, that in order to avoid the great schema merge, you're mapping these entities across these two different data stores so that you can treat them as a common thing in the application, and you're sacrificing some performance to let the machines figure out how to extract that data for you. Yes. Well, you're... you're Definitely, you know, we're adding a layer of abstraction when we're we're using the entity data model, right, and not going directly to the database and, and working back and forth and streaming streaming the data, for example, into a data reader or, or wherever you want to get it into. Well, and I don't find this inherently evil because there was a time, I just and pointing to how old I'm getting, there was a time when I remember people complaining about query processors are too complicated and too slow. If we're not reading bytes directly from the disk, we're wasting time. Hmm. Yeah. So this yeah. whole idea that I'd write a SQL statement and let the database figure out to retrieve the data was a ridiculous concept. If you're well, not writing imagine, from the memory map file, you're wasting time. Imagine adding to that now that you're letting um, somebody else's code figure out the T-SQL. Right. Which right? Is, and that's what's happening in the, in the Entity Framework APIs. And in Linked as well. And in link, but the nice thing about that is that you know the the, the guys who are writing an entity framework, um, you know, is they're they're like two floors above the query optimization guys on the SQL Server team, right? And spend a lot of huh. time together. So I have a lot of faith, even though like during during um, you know the early betas, I would look in SQL Profiler and look at the um, queries that were generated, and I'd be like, oh. My God, what the heck are they doing there? <laughs> right? And and they've actually worked really hard, like for entity framework between the beta two and the beta three, one of the big things was um they've worked really, really hard at, at getting those to be so much smarter. 
really, and this, this is the thing: is you're trusting those guys to write smarter queries than, than you would. I trust myself. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I trust them better than I trust myself. Well, and you make a valid point that that folks with a lot of experience writing queries can write really clever queries to solve problems. Yeah. And if you don't have a lot of experience in that space, it's tougher to write them. Yeah. So perhaps this genericized method of writing queries is going to net better queries than you could write yourself. Yeah. One one of the things I heard um, Pablo Castro say when he was talking to Greg Lowe on a on an interview is that one of the one of the things they've really done here is helped out people who really don't know best practices. So it'll it'll do a really great job for them. In in you know in terms of um, taking whatever query they build on the client side and and they're building this query you know, in link to SQL or in link to entities or using entity SQL. And then um, whether they're using link to SQL or entity framework, you know, the query gets generated at T-SQL or whichever, you know, whatever database you're using. Um, query gets generated and, and you know, they'll be doing a better job than than your average kind of developer using it. And any developer who knows SQL very well is screaming at his iPod right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, okay, so here's, here's a, um, a really important thing for people to understand. You, yes, link to SQL and entity framework generate queries, but you don't have to um, have them do that. You can use stored procedures and you can use views that are already in your database. Hmm. Right. So, so, so it won't. So you won't be getting the advantage of the the query generation that the that Link and Entity SQL are doing, but you can still take advantage of you know all that client side goodness of having those objects materialized for you and you know change tracking and all that kind of stuff. And you should expect nothing less. I mean, you've always had those kinds of options with any tools that Microsoft. Has yeah, put but out. it's been it's been a I think maybe a messaging issue that that um, Microsoft is you know need, trying to get across, which is why I thought it was great that Pablo did the interview with Greg because Greg's focus is SQL Server, so he was really asking questions from the DBA perspective. Yeah. And the DBA um, perspective is, I want to be able to take command of my database and say, yeah, you're not touching my tables directly. I'm going to give you the stored procedure to get to this data, and you have to live with that. Right. And you're saying that Entity Framework and Link to SQL can live with that. Absolutely. Mm. So th- so um, I remember, I think it was in that same, that same workshop that the guy from Microsoft was in at Dev Connections. Um, and Dev, this was Dev Connections in Las Vegas, which is, you know, bundled with lots and lots of shows, including um, SQL Connections. Right. So somebody who had been um, at a bunch of the sessions in SQL Connections said that whichever session they had been in, the person teaching the session said, do not let your developers use Entity Framework or Link to SQL. Nice. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. And it was because people are like, what? You're going to generate dynamic queries against my... T- Database? No, you're not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> oh, no, you're not. But by that same token, I do think there has been some messaging and some energy internal to Microsoft that's been leaking out that's saying it's to your advantage to let us generate the queries. Well, to some people's advantage, maybe. Like, like I was just saying, you know, the people who don't, you know, people like me, I'm not in a scenario where I'm working in projects often with DBAs right. who, you know, are, are building great databases and great schema for, you know, and performance and indexing and all that kind of stuff. So like, you know, like I said, I'm happy to take um, advantage of, you know, some of those things. On the other hand, one of the things that the designer doesn't do very well yet, and it's still, the designer is still CTP, it's not even beta yet, is let us um, use, let us get access to read-only stored procedures, stored procedures that are really doing queries. Right, that are they returning a map, set of some kind. They'll let us, you can have an entity and map that entity um, directly to um, the DML stored procedures, so an insert, an update, and a delete. Right. DML being data modification language. Right. Well, 
or, or as I otherwise like to call it, the cud of crud. <laughs> <laughs> and for, I thought you were going to say I, data mangling language, but that's a different should, thing. Should, I should just <laughs> define that for, for people who don't get the joke. Crud <laughs> refers to uh, create, read, update, and delete, yeah. but we're not talking about read here. We're just talking about create, update, and delete. It's just so. cud. The cud of crud. Cut of crud. That's why they call it the data farm. I'm waiting farm. for the T-shirt. Oh, there's a Vermont thing here somewhere. Oh, that's what I say. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's why they call it the yeah, data the farm, thing. right? These things just come naturally to my brain because there's cows all over the place, right? <laughs> and Vermont cows are happy cows. It's not for anyway. That. So, um, what so, kind of grass are they eating now? Oh. <laughs> That stuff they were planting in the seventies, I think. The Vermont grass. Oh yeah. <laughs> so the so the designer will let you take an entity and say, you know, whenever I'm doing a save changes for this entity, rather than generate the dynamic queries, I want you to use my my particular stored procedures, and so you can wire them up with your insert, sprock, your update, and and your delete. But what they don't have that it's doable. You can you can put this in, but you have to do a little bit of the work manually in the schema files, but they don't have easy access for, for getting a, a query stored procedure. So that's, that's one thing I've been um, um, pestering them about a little bit. <laughs> I see. So and, you're, you're pretty comfortable with that all writing to the database via Entity Framework or, or Link to SQL or any of these things, you could farm, farm through stored procedures without a lot of grief. But getting into the reads gets a little tougher. Yeah, not, not with Link to SQL. Link to SQL, they, um, they have it figured out so that you can drop a, you can drop a stored procedure. I should, I should back up a little bit. Okay. The place where it's tougher is where what you're returning doesn't match an existing entity in your model. Ah, I see. So if, if you've built a wacky store procedure that's going to consolidate a lot of data from different places and stuff, Link it doesn't SQL. match any existing entities, so you're not gonna, it's not going to be easy to make the, the EF work properly with that. But Link to SQL will handle that just fine. Link to SQL will do it for you. And, and you know, I, I think some people have complained a little bit about how it's doing that, and, and I haven't really investigated what the issues are with that. It returns but it will... a collection out of anonymous types, basically. Oh, maybe, okay, maybe that's what it's doing. So, you know, that's link, right? Yeah. Anonymous types are really helpful in those scenarios. Um, so with with Entity Framework, um, I, I don't really want an anonymous type. Well, for the model, the model doesn't understand anonymous types. I sure. have to map back to something. I have to, It has to be something. So you you just need to manually create the entity, but problem with that is you you can manually create an entity really easily on the conceptual side of the model, but the way the model works is it has to map to something back on the store schema, and I don't right. mean back in the database, but I mean in that representation of your database. So you have to manually go in and invent a fake, you know, t- a table, and, and yeah, I have it. to construct an entity to in order to make that thing work. Yeah. So it's just a, it, you know, it's something that's solved by, you know, writing one blog post about it, which I've done. Like, oh, here's here's how to do it, because some people don't know yet how to how to do that. Eventually, may you know, perhaps the um, the designer will give us a little more access, a little visual UI access to the store side of the schema, so we can work in there without having to understand the XML. But I'll tell you. Um, with a, you know, that first year I was working with Entity Framework or, or first long period of time, whatever it was, we didn't have the design tool yet. And I was working directly in the XML, which was painful, but very, very educational. It took a long time to get anything done, but you really knew what was going on. Yeah. And luckily I've done a lot of work with web services in the past. So, you know, and, 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 and had dinner with Tim Ewald, right? So I like, have, I don't have fear of XML. <laughs> Once no you've had dinner fear. with Tim Ewald, you're, you're in a different camp. Well, it's just funny because it's always, you know, Tim, Tim's an easy target to go, yeah, well, everybody in the world's afraid of XML except for Tim. Yeah. <laughs> Tim he's thinks the only it's one. fun. <laughs> right. But I don't, you know, I don't have fear of it. And so I was okay with going in and digging around and, and futzing with it. Yeah. I hope the T and the Z in in that word 
came that, across that's a right. on the reporter. We edited it so that <laughs> that it was sounded a T dirty. and a Z in there, not anything else. <laughs> you just wanted to say. That's all right, Julie. We edited it so it sounded dirty. <laughs> so can, you can like take the clip and put Wait, it on now, here Monday. we go. Ready? <laughs> all right. Now we now we have all the raw materials we need to make that work. Nice. Um, can you walk us through what it? takes to uh first of all let, before you do that um we have talked about this before on other entity framework uh shows it's possible to to generate entities from an existing relational database but is it also possible to generate the database from the entities I mean, does it go both ways do we have any limitations there the answer to that is not yet um the I'm, I'm thinking, I've seen, I've seen these questions coming up in the forums and watched as the, the answer to that from the team has changed a little bit because they had so many requests for that. I believe it was something they were really targeting for the, the, the re- actual release of the tool. Now, which are we and talking I'm, about? Are we talking? We're talking about creating, uh, defining a model in the scheme, defining a conceptual model. And being able to generate tables in your database based I on see. that. Okay, now the uh, DBAs are not just making faces at their iPods, <laughs> but they're stomping on them, right? Yeah. <laughs> ah, ah! Yeah, you've got them now. They're now rocking back and forth and screaming. We're used to that with the DBAs, right? So though. that that is a scary thing to me. But on the other hand, for you know the people who aren't working with DBAs and and do think of kind of the model first you know it makes sense for some people to be able to do that and it was a huge request and um oh gosh I should be really careful about this because I remember Noam on the Noam is one of the guys on the team who's really focused on the who's who's working on the designer and he had said that's one of the key things we're looking at for making sure we get into the release but I I really I'm thinking that I saw something later that he. It sounded like maybe we weren't going to be able to get it in there this time around, but I, I just can't remember if it was well, that that's okay. feature well, or I'll something else. Is it version one of the Entity Framework like done? Entity are they, framework, are they in like final still, betas now? The the I'm talking about the designer. Oh, okay. Okay, so the designer right now, what we have is CTP. That's Community Technical Preview. I know you guys know that number two. Which okay. came out in December along with the Entity Framework Beta 3, right? Because right. they came up with the idea of Entity Framework first, right? And they were working that out and the APIs and all that. And, and so, you know, the designer doesn't come first. I mean, look at, you know, WCF and WPF, yeah. right? Right. Designer never really comes first. So they're on the CTP2 of the designer and they'll have a, you know, a, a finalized version of the designer that will get released when entity framework gets released so they'll they'll finally get lined back up but um i don't know what else is going to be in there beyond what we have with the current ctp i do know they're working hard on getting more features in there yeah it's an interesting thought i mean and i i know it's important but i don't know that it's important enough to delay shipping i would oh, rather no, have the thing shipped it's not a showstopper. Heck, you know, we could we could write the code that takes the model and does that. Does the right. you know read through the entities and just go and generate our own dynamic SQL that creates tables if the DBA hasn't turned off that feature for my permissions. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, that's not going to work. <laughs> so you know, and the DBA has control over all that stuff. Well, without a doubt, and I'm thinking in this scenario where the DBA comes in late to the game. Odds are again the the skills of the entity framework guys are going to be better than the average developer in architecting the database. You're going to have a better data model, arguably a too normalized data model to work with. Something you'll want to roll up a bit before you deploy it. Right, hmm. and you can build in the model. You can build constraints. You can build referential integrity. You can build all that stuff. Yeah, stuff that they that the average dev wouldn't be likely to do on their own, but because they're doing it with circles and arrows in the designer, it'll get propagated to the database. You look at databases I put together. Oh, you won't want to hear this. Richard, plug your ears. Um, <laughs> la, 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 la. Databases that I, I designed for, you know, I'm a programmer, right? And my clients are like, we need, a pro- we need to write a program. I'm like, well, you need a database to put the data in. And they say, well, um, just set it up. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, but, you know, it's not what I do for a living. Right. I, mean, I didn't know about 
creating indexes and and you know luckily I finally found that thing that said um, here let me create the index let me tell you what indexes you want right <laughs> so, oh yeah push that button I like that um, and and building the constraints in into that and building the relationships and you know like using the designer to build the relationships and the cool thing is if you've done that on the database side when you use entity framework the other way the wizard that generates a model from your your database it will pull all those relationships over and build those relationships into your model. Right. And, and, the, and again, the constraints. Foreign key, you know, foreign key, primary key. And, that, and that's the big base. thing. The big thing that folks, especially developers, leave out are the relationship constraints so that we end up with orphan data. Uh, I mean, indexes are one thing, and they're important for performance and so on, but that can be retrofit later. What's tough on a DBA coming into a project a year down the road is, yeah, you know, we there has to be a salesperson in every sale. So I go to put the constraint between the salespeople and the sale, and I can't lay the constraint in because there are already sales that are point to salespeople that don't exist. So fixing that becomes very problematic. Right. I think that's exactly the thing that a designer, where you're defining these Entity relationships, you would naturally connect that line between the salesperson and the sale, and that line becomes the constraint. As a DBA coming into a generated database, to have all of those rules in place already makes my life much easier Mm -hmm. in dealing with modifications I'm going to need to make to the data later. Yeah. Now, I actually started looking further into how the constraints work once they're in place in the model. And I, I definitely had some questions back to the team about that because I was seeing that the constraint was there, but they, um, the, the question was where in the pipeline is that constraint being checked? That's what it is. So the constraint doesn't get checked. Like, depends on what constraint we're talking about. Like, if I'm talking about, like, relationship integrity and maybe I'm deleting a record or something like that. Right. Um, but there, there's some things that the constraint won't get checked until you're trying to do the save changes. It'll still, so if I'm, um, for example, deleting something, you know, like deleting a, a client, a customer that has orders. Right. The model, like the model itself, when I'm actually performing that delete, I believe that it's not going to check it there, but it's when I try to save changes. The API will catch it before it goes to the database oh, okay. and say, hey, you can't do that. So you have to, you have to know where that's going to happen. See, I would even be happy if it just went all the way to the database and the database barfs it back. At least it gets caught. It shouldn't. I, I, I think what I was seeing was it doesn't, it, it's in the, it's in the API just as it's about to go to the server. So it doesn't, it says, oh, oh, wait, we can't send that up to the server. Right? But it does, it's happening then when you hit the like save changes button as opposed to when you're actually doing the delete, like you're deleting the, and it, the object. Right. The, the model is not going to say, oh, you can't do that then. And it's interesting, the idea that now that we have that relationship in uh, a construct where it's, it's in memory in the process space of the program rather than manifest itself in the database or in some kind of object layer or anything right. like that, where we could have it that far forward. You could be literally as the form is being filled in or the commands are being uh, selected, checking against the model to say, is this legit? Is this legit? Is this legit? Absolutely. And then flagging and, early. And um, link to SQL and, you know, I'm more talking about how entity frameworks, entity framework works than link to SQL because I, I know that. So much more intimately. Oh, is that an okay word? <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> is that going to be taken okay really out of context? Uh, I don't want right. to see the picture on that. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I know Entity Framework much better than I understand uh, how Link to SQL is working internally. You know, we've really talked about laying Entity Framework in on an existing application and the concerns around that and so forth. How about let's go through the whole cycle? I'm starting a new app here. I've got a green field in front of me using the right. hip new term. Uh, what's it like to build from scratch? Well, it, the, the first thing is, are we starting from a database that already exists or are we starting from our mind? I mean, we, we you know, our idea of the conceptual model, because you could build your conceptual model first and then hook it up to a database. 
I think for people who are, um, you know, starting out with Entity Framework, it's so much easier to start the other way. Start with the database and generate a model from the database and then start tweaking the model, right? Because then you've got, you've got something there for you. Do you think that's the norm? Um, I don't think there is a norm. Okay. I think right now everything, everything you're going to see about how to work with Entity Framework is going to be point to a database, use the wizard, and generate a model. However, Mike Pizzo, who um, is pretty high up on the in the food chain on the you know whole SQL server data access team, recently, like a couple weeks ago, they did a webcast, and he demonstrated it the other way around. He said, "Let's build some entities. Now let's hook the entities up to the database." Right. So he he did do it the other way around in a in a webcast, and you know. I should have tiny URL URL'd that webcast. Um, it's a it's a really good reference. You I'll, should have shrinkstered that URL. Shrinkster, that's it. Sorry, shrinkstered. <laughs> you can edit that out, right? Um, I I sorry, I didn't think to do that. Anyway, so it was the first time I've seen somebody do it the other way around. I was like, oh, that's how it works. Okay, and, you know, and like we said, it doesn't actually generate the tables, but they could. It's got to be a little tricky to draw out the model and then make sure you make the right tables to connect them together. Yeah, but you you can you can connect them to whatever tables you want to. Right? Just as long as the, you know, keys match and you get and and the wiring up of the fields makes sense, but they don't have to be named. So let's let's just go from the kind of the low-hanging fruit of we'll start with the database. Great. And we'll create a model from the database. Okay, so now we have a, a model, and and what's nice about the tools is you don't have to worry in de- worry too much about all that stuff in the background. And the stuff in the background is the representation of the store and the mapping, right? What that really looks like. You can just like you look at the mod- at the conceptual model visually, which is what you want to work with. Yeah. So it will build the whole thing for you all the way through. All right, um, and and then you see a nice representation of that model, and it does some interesting things as it's generating the model. Um, it it one of the one of the first things it does is is um, and this is really helpful to understand about the entity framework and entity data modeling and entity relationship modeling, which EDM is based on, which is that entities and relationships are both first class citizens in here. So relationship is just as prominent as an entity, right? So it's actually really interesting. And one of the things that that really helps with, and you'll um, see this with Link to SQL also, is that it makes it a lot easier to write your queries because you don't have to build as many joins as you normally would, right, when you're, when you're writing queries between things. So think of customers and orders, right? Normally in our customer table we have customer ID and then, you know, name and address and all that kind of stuff. In the order table, we'd have order ID, customer ID, going back to the customer, and then all of the, you know, all that unimportant information like, you know, the date of the order, the order number, all that kind of stuff. (laughs) When that stuff comes over to the entity data model, what you'll end up having is you'll, you'll look at it, and when you look at the order entity, you won't see a customer ID which is confusing to people at first. They're like, where's my foreign key? How am I going to do this? I'm used to writing T-SQL where I build all my joins in manually. So um, the way this surfaces in the entity data model is that that relationship becomes a property within each of the entities. So you'll look at the customer entity and you'll see that We've got the scalar properties, and then we have navigation properties. And one of those navigation properties will be orders. And then over on the order side, we'll have a navigation property back to the customer. But and and so when we start doing queries against them, we just have to say, you know, customers dot orders, and the mapping in the background takes care of how all that stuff really translates in the in the real world of the database. But we don't have to worry about the foreign key. Now, some people want that foreign key, and there's a way to get at it. Right. But in the model, they've they've 
just taken taken that away, and what we have then is entities and the relationships between those entities. Now, Julie, do you have control over the the amount of data that gets loaded at any one time? Does it happen as needed, sort of like a lazy load kind of thing, or? Yeah, well, for one of the things I want to make sure people understand, and and this is just for people who are not used to you know any kind of ORM or anything like that, is that the model is just a model. It's just a schema. It's not a new database. You're not just pulling. You know, it's not a new database. There's no data in there. So so now we're talk. You're talking about is okay. Now that we've got this model, and we're going to query against the model. Can can what? And we have these relationships built in. Can we do lazy loading? Here's a big difference between Link to SQL and um, Entity Framework. Link to SQL will do that lazy loading for you. And and what I mean is if I say, give me orders, and then, and you know, just go get me some orders. So now I have orders in my hand. And, and then I say, oh, I want to get see something about the products from the orders. Now, I didn't explicitly ask for products. I just said I wanted orders. But Link to SQL will go, oh, you want those products? Let me just go back to the database and get the products for that order. That's that's lazy loading. So Entity Framework won't do that unless you explicitly tell it to. So there's a, there's a couple of ways to do that. One is when you're building your queries and you're saying, um, well, there's, a, there's, a, there's actually a couple of ways. But if you just say, I want orders, unless you tell it, to um, it, you, it doesn't do the lazy loading by itself. So, so you can say, I'm querying for orders, but I also want you to bring along the products for that orders. It'll just do it all. It'll just do one big. It'll just go get them all. Yeah, it'll just bring everything back. And and you don't want that to happen unless you know it's going to happen. Right, right, that's my like, point. I just asked for orders. Why did you just send all that data across the pipe? I didn't want it. Right. The other thing you can do is, so say for example again, you're querying just the orders. Now you're iterating through the orders and you're like, oh, that order? Yeah, I want the products for that order. And you, there's just actually a load method. You can say orders.products.load. Okay. Explicitly say, okay, go get them. So big difference, link to SQL as you iterate through the product, through the orders, and you want to talk about products, it will just go in the background. It won't ask you, right? It'll just go and get the products for mm-hmm. you. Uh, but Entity Framework, you have to explicitly do it. Is that the long, long answer yeah, to no, the question? Yeah, no, that is a good answer. <laughs> that's a good answer. And it's important because you need to know, you know, that you're not going to overtax your system. You're going to be efficient in terms of how much memory you're using. Just and this is you know this is where we get into the rad development of link to SQL versus more enterprise development, right? If you're doing rad development, you don't want to have to think about that stuff. Just if I'm asking for products, just go get them. Like don't don't make me tell right. you I I need them. Yeah, it's an interesting. This is really the battle of the whole object database or the ORM problem, where how much data should I get? Right. If I ask for the customer, should I also get all his historical orders? It also right. depends on where the bottleneck is, right? I mean, if, you're, so, if your PC has got all the RAM in the world and your database is a bit slow, there you go. Now you know what you got to do. If it's the other way around, if you've got the biggest, fastest, baddest-ass honking database and uh, you've got, you know, thousands and thousands of clients, now you probably have another option there. So here's, here's another interesting scenario. Um, if you're doing something like data binding in ASP.NET, and you query for the customers, and then you say, oh, I want to show some product information in there. You know, it'll, like, be, you have access to being able to make reference to the product. And when you do the data bind, and, and there's anything in that, um, in that data binding that, well, like, in your, in your markup that makes a reference to the products, then all of, you know, it'll go through and... Um, load every product, but the way it does it is one at a time, right? So you're get if you've got 400. Oh, well, now I'm talking about products, some categories and products, right? If you got 40 categories, it's going to make 40 round trips to the database to go to the category. Wow. So if you want them in, if you 
there again, you know, there's ways to explicitly force all that data to come down in one query, whether you're in link to SQL or in, or in um, entity frameworks. But those That's are just things know. that you know people <laughs> don't realize sometimes what they're doing. That's why I love SQL Profiler. I love SQL, SQL Profiler. SQL Profiler, good. Uh, oh, so, you know, walking through what happens. So I've created this data model, right? I've used the wizard. I've created an entity data model from the database. The, the designer also automatically generates classes from based on the entities in the conceptual model. So now I have something to program against. I'm not programming against those schema files. The schema files are actually just used by the API to kind of translate between what I'm what I'm talking about when I'm working in my code to what's what's over in the database. So the APIs read those schema files. But I'm actually going to program against classes. And it's the the same um in link to SQL you're programming against classes, but they're very different types of classes that are generated. So just you um they're like wired directly back to the back to the database, whereas um, in Entity Framework, those, those classes are just kind of independent, and, and the wiring back to the database happens through the API by reading the mapping and the, and the other schema file. Does that make sense? Yeah, I totally. I can visualize all this, and I'm wondering as I'm explaining it, can, can you visualize it while I'm talking about it? I think our listeners are used to that. <laughs> <laughs> but the, you know, the interesting thing here is that it, this is still fairly code-centric. We're, we're not at the point yet where we've got, a say, a data grid I can bind to an, an entity framework reference. Oh, or yes, am I wrong? Can. Could we do yes, that? Yes, you can. Yeah, because the entity... Oh, so, okay. So, so now we're, now we're going to write some queries against these classes, right? And, and, and um, I'm just assuming people are... So many more people are familiar with Link to SQL, so I keep kind of going back to that. But there's... As a, as a point of reference or comparison... Um, there's actually a couple of ways, different ways to query against an entity data model or, or the classes that are generated uh, from the model. So querying against the conceptual layer. And one of them is linked to entities, which is really nice because, you know, like we were already making this investment in learning how to use link, so we can just leverage it and use link to entities to, to query against the conceptual layer. Um, there's also, you can also use... Uh, Entity frameworks object services directly to build to to do querying, and then in that case you would use Entity SQL, which is similar to T SQL but special, so that it does what Entity Framework needs to do. How, how is it um, special? It's a special Entity SQL, um, and, and but it's a it's a string based language, so you can you know build dynamic queries and and do things like that. Anyway. What's returned, if you're using link to entities or if you're using object services, you're just getting um, iQueryables back, right? Like, it's easier to call them collections because people understand collections better. Yes. But queryable collections. And you can data bind against those very easily. So, so. yeah, you can, you can do that. I mean, people have seen all the data binding with um, link to SQL. And it's, it's, you know, you get that same benefit. And depending on... Um, what it is that you're data binding to, you know, you can get all the all the object tracking, uh, change tracking, and, and everything to happen. If you're say you're using a um, a Windows, oh god, they keep changing all the names of these things. Is it a data grid now in Windows? A data grid view. I think it's data grid view for Windows forms, and it's grid view for for web forms. So there's a data grid view, and, and the data grid view does the change tracking of whatever object is on there, and the object, the entities, framework object services will do the change tracking in the object, so you can just, you know, it all ties back, and you just make changes and say, save changes, and goes back to the database. For the data binding, right, we've got a SQL data source, we've got a link data source, and we're going to be getting an entity data source, and that should be available by the time we release. So, so for data binding with the with um, in web applications and ASP.NET applications, and then so you can also take advantage of all of that kind of automatic stuff that happens when you're using those data binding features. So you know it's 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 a collection of objects, and it's and it's queryable, and object services handles change tracking, 
um, within all those entities that you've generated, all those classes that you've generated. Um, you can write partial, they're partial classes, so you can write external code. Um, the nHibernate guys have spent a lot of time talking with the entity framework people about um, being able to create their own classes and, and do things like, you know, POCO, plain old, you know, not, not have to um, implement specific you know, entity classes, not, right. not have to say, um, okay, I'm, I'm implementing an, you know, entity framework object, right? Because they don't want to do that because it, it um, limits them. So this version around, they're not going to be able to do that. They're going to come close. Because they, the Entity Framework team came up with Danny. Danny Simmons actually really drove this. He went and researched and really tried, learned about Poco and and what these guys are doing, what they're talking about, what they're asking for. They ended up creating something called iPoco, which is not the Apple version of uh, Poco. Right? I mean, that was like the sorry, that was the joke. Apple Nobody, reference. I. Are we not allowed to talk about that either? <laughs> We've already mentioned iPods a couple of times. Anyway, so there's something called iPoco. So now it's all right. Well, just in just implement these couple of interfaces, and and you'll be able to plug into everything else we're doing. But but so it's iPoco. It's not quite Poco. So so V2. Um, they should be seeing that. But I I just always like to mention it because people all there's always one in the crowd that wants to ask about that. And Poco, you almost define, but it's plain old what objects class objects. Yeah, plain. Yeah, Pl- just plain old cl- classes, right? Just like you know, I just want my classes. I don't want your classes. I want my classes. But I want my classes to take advantage of everything that you're doing in there. Right. And then I'll- they can you know do all the TDD stuff and. All the all those things that make them so happy. <laughs> yeah, and I like it when they're happy because they're nicer that way. <laughs> they're less scary. <laughs> it all comes back to ice cream, doesn't it? Yeah, ice Very cream nice. equals. I was going to actually make a Canadian Vermont reference there, but <laughs> same difference. They're just so nice up in Vermont. You both have maple trees. Makes maple syrup. What more can you ask for? <laughs> So, Julie, so, where we have have we exhausted the subject? Is there anything else that so we're coming up to the end of the show here? Is there anything else that uh, that you wanted to talk about? Well, um, you know, I, I one of my problems with Entity Framework is that I can just talk and talk and talk all day about it. So I'm, um, oh, that's not a problem. We we can't do that here, but I I'm finally doing full day workshops on it instead of being limited to doing you know hour and a half conference or. 60-minute conference sessions on any frameworks. I'm really looking forward to that. That's great. Where are you doing that? Uh, I'm going to be doing a full-day pre-con at Dev Connections in April. Yeah. Down in Orlando. And I'm also doing a full-day workshop in Sweden at the Developer Summit at the beginning of April in Stockholm. Ah, very good. Nice. Yeah, and so I'm looking forward to that. And I also was uh, very... um, Let's see. We don't want to say ballsy, right? Because that's for your Monday's show. No, you but can say I was ballsy. that and submitted a full day pre-con to TechEd. Did you really? Wow. To do that, to do that same thing. Now, I know some people like, you know, Kate Gregory who is, you know, an an obvious person to do do sessions at TechEd already knows that she's doing her pre-con. I just haven't heard back yet. Wow. Um, yeah, the, the official announcements haven't been made yet. I bet you the only reason Kate knows is I happen to know she's one of the track chairs. Ah, well, so there you go. She's in the middle of planning all of that. And and uh, it would just be wrong if they didn't have Kate doing sessions at TechEd. Like, it just oh, wouldn't be yeah. TechEd. It just wouldn't be TechEd. That <laughs> so, would be right. Um, I know I'm doing those. I'm not sure what else I'll be doing. I'm definitely, um, you know, doing a, at Dev Connections is actually a whole data access track, which is really great. I, I pushed that a couple years, uh, a couple years ago. I brought it up and we had our first data access track at the Las Vegas show and it was really successful. Yep. So it's just, there's always going to be some kind of data access talk going on. So I'll be doing some entity framework talks there. Um, John Papa will also, and some people from the team, and then there's lots of other data access talks also. Because you know, who everybody does data access, right? Yeah. So we right. Don't need that. 
Um, and DevTeach, I'll be doing a bunch of entity framework sessions at DevTeach. And, of course, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, I'm writing a book. Yeah, the book. Framework. In between Hopefully sessions. Hopefully it'll be the book, but, you know, Dave Sepp is from the team is writing a book. That'll be pretty good. And there's there's other people writing books. But um, I, I, I assume that mine will be very different from everybody else's, and I'm really excited about doing it. Yours will have Vermont soul, Julie. Pardon me? Yours will have Vermont soul. That's, that's what theirs that's won't right? have. That's right. The only thing that mine won't have, and I told um, I told John Osborne, who's who's my editor, which is one of the reasons I I am doing this because I think John's going to really kick my butt and make me write something great. Um, but I told him it was almost a deal breaker because it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to get a Newfie dog on the cover of the book. Oh, as the animal, yeah. A, it's been used before. It's actually on a VB, a Visual Basic book, which I, I have. Um, and B, we, nobody really, it's like the designers at O'Reilly who, who choose, choose those. So I have no idea. Maybe it'll be, you know, I don't know, an octopus or something. Who knows? You know, I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> I just hope it's not something scary. <laughs> All right, Julie. Well, we'll see you at Dev Connections. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. Thanks very much for uh, enlightening us here. Yeah, it's uh, always a lot of fun. All right. I'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. And we'll see Bye-bye. you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.